Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. Welcome to this podcast. This is going to be about the life and times of Tim Heal. In this series of podcasts, I'm going to take you through my life from birth to retirement. I will be covering some of the major events in my life and some of the successes and failures that I've had during my lifetime. So sit back, strap yourself in, it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. Welcome to episode three of the Tim Heal Podcasts. This is about the life and times of Tim Heal. This time, I'm going to take you from when I joined the Army in 1974 up until I deployed to Northern Ireland in 1977. Sit back and enjoy. On the 5th of August 1974, I went over to St Albans and I was attested into the British Army. And they gave me a book entitled The Soldier's Testament and Book of Psalms. And it says, This book was used in the attestation ceremony of Timothy Stephen Hill on enlistment into the army at St Albans on the 5th of August 1974. It is presented on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen for personal use as a source of spiritual and moral guidance during army service. Effectively, I've just taken the Queen's shilling. The Queen's division is made up of Three regiments, the Royal Anglian Regiment, the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers and the Queen's Regiment. The Royal Anglian Regiment was formed in 1958 from the nine county regiments of the east of England, those being the Norfolks, Suffolks and Cams, the Lincolnshire, Leicestershire and Northamptonshire Regiments and the Beds, Hearts and Essex. And in 1964, we were given the Royal Warrant and became the Royal Anglian Regiment from the East Anglian Regiment. In 1974, the Royal Anglian Regiment was made up of seven battalions, although the 4th Battalion, the Royal Leicesters, had been disbanded and taken into the 2nd Battalion. So the 1st Battalion was made up of the Norfolks, Suffolks and Cams. The 2nd Battalion was made up of the Lincolnshire, Leicestershire and Northamptonshire Regiment. And the 3rd Battalion was made up of the Beds, Hearts and Essex. Each battalion had a nickname. The 1st Battalion was the Vikings, the 2nd Battalion were the Poachers and the 3rd Battalion the Pompadours. The three reserve battalions made up the rest and they were 5th, 6th and 7th Battalions. The three reserve battalions mirrored the county regiments that they represented. Today, the regiment has two regular battalions First Battalion, the Vikings, and the Second Battalion, the Poachers, and the Third Battalion, which is the Reserve Battalion, are the Steelbacks, named after the Northampton Regiment. There was also the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers. They were formed up in 1968, and they were amalgamated from the Royal Northumberland Fusiliers, the Royal Warwickshire Fusiliers, the Royal Fusiliers City of London Regiment and the Lancashire Fusiliers. Today, they've only got two battalions, 
one regular battalion and one reserve battalion. And the last regiment that formed the Queen's Division was the Queen's Regiment. They were formed in 1966 and formed from the Queen's Surreys, the Queen's Own Buffs, the Royal Sussex Regiment and the Middlesex Regiment. They had eight battalions, four regular and four reserve. Later in 1992, they became the Princess of Wales Royal Regiment and they took on the Royal Hampshire Regiment at that time. Today, they only have two regular battalions and a reserve battalion. So that's the makeup of the Queen's Division. On that September morning, there was something around about 200 junior soldiers all turned up at the depot. We were all split down into different platoons, and I was in Salamanca. All the platoons were named after different battle honours. Salamanca platoon started off with about 40-odd guys. Once we had been allocated our platoon, we were then taken off to our accommodation to dump all our kit. Our accommodation was a large barrack room that had about 20 beds in it, and 20 lockers, and we were allocated a bed space each. And then it started. So the corporals formed us up outside the block and took us on an orientation tour of the camp. As we went round, they would mark timers. They would take us to the cookhouse and say, this is a cookhouse. In there, you will get your breakfast, consisting of sausages, eggs, bacon, beans, fried slice, tea, toast. Then we'll march off and we'll go round to the gymnasium and they mark us time outside the gymnasium and say, this is the gymnasium. You'll go into the gymnasium and you'll be doing PT, consisting of push-ups, sit-ups, burpees. You'll be running, you'll be jumping, you'll be climbing. This is the gymnasium. Then they march us round to the QM's department. Mark us time outside the QM's. This is the QM's department. In there, you will draw your uniforms. And so on. And they will muck us about for the rest of the morning. Then they march us off for lunch. After lunch, they march us down to the QM's department, where we drew up all our bedding. The bedding consisted of a mattress, a mattress cover, four blankets, two sheets, a pillowcase and a pillow. Then we were marched back to the block where they showed us how to make the bed and then how to make a bed block. Essentially, a bed block is the two sheets, the pillowcase and two blankets wrapped up with one blanket and the fourth blanket was spread over the mattress cover to form a very neat looking bed. We spent the rest of the afternoon making bed blocks. I'm making bed blocks and making the bed. I'm making the bed and making bed blocks. And I'm making bed blocks and making bed blocks again. Until it was time to go to dinner. So they formed us up outside the block and marched us down to the cookhouse for dinner. When we came back from dinner, then they started to show us all the cleaning equipment that we'd need to clean the block. We had a big bumper, which cleaned the floor, polished the floor. We had polish. We had polishing rags, 
and they showed us everywhere that we needed to clean. Then they took us into the toilets and showed us how to clean the toilets and how to clean the basins. And it showed us exactly how they expected to find it the following morning, where we had the chance to practice that. We got to bed, I guess it must have been around about 10 o'clock. Most of us were quite tired, um, but still excited to be there. Revali the next morning, for us, was five o'clock. The corporals came in at five o'clock in the morning and then broke us down into our sections. And then they took our sections away into the, into the toilets and they proceeded to show us how to shower, how to wash and shave. And then we got the chance to practice having a shower, washing and shaving. Once we'd finished practicing washing and shaving and showering, we then cleaned the block, cleaned all the toilets, we cleaned the sinks, and then we cleaned the barrack room. By which time, it was time to go to breakfast. They formed us up outside the block, and we marched down to breakfast. After breakfast, it was our turn to go to the QMs to draw up all our clothing. At the QMs, we all formed up on one side of the counter, and the QM staff the other side of the counter. We were only going to be issued a limited amount of clothing at this time because of the chances that we wouldn't last long. So they issued us two pairs of denims, two shirts, one pair of combats, one pair of boots, one pair of plimp soles, and two sets of PT kit. We were then marched back up to the block, and the corporals then showed us how to look after our clothing. They showed us how to press our kit, press our trousers, press our shirts, jumpers, etc., etc. how to look after everything. After lunch, we met our platoon sergeant for the first time, Sergeant Mick Draper. He took us for our first drill lesson. For some of us that had been in the cadets, we didn't have any problems at all. However, those that hadn't been in the cadets, oh my Lord, you've seen nothing like it. Talk about having two left feet, arms going, tick-tock, oh, it was a right giggle, for us anyway, not for them. However, over the weeks to come, the drill did improve quite a lot. Once we got the first couple of days out of the way and we'd settled in, then it started. Everywhere we went, we had to do it as a squad at the double. The only time we could walk was back from the cookhouse after a meal. All the other times was as a form squad doubling around. Our first PT session was down the gymnasium. What a gymnasium that is. It got this thing called the Trainasium, which was a, a structure was about 40 foot high and it was climbed up, it was run up, it was abseiled down. Amazing bit of kit. A little bit more of that later. Our first PT session was a series of tests. We had to do some pull-ups, some sit-ups. We had our pulse taken. We had our blood pressure taken. And then the basic fitness test. At that time, it was done in boots and denims and a PT top. And it was a mile and a half as a squad in 15 minutes. And then it was a mile and a half best individual effort. I was okay. I came in around about eight and a half minutes. Some of the lads did struggle with it. As the days went on, it got harder and harder and harder. So much so, there were guys leaving. They couldn't hack it. Every day we had PT. Every day we had drill. Every day we had 
weapons handling lessons and they started at five o'clock in the morning and we didn't finish till eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, sometimes midnight, depends on what we were doing. But we still had to get the block cleaned. We still had to make our bed blocks in the morning. We still had to clean the block every day. We had to clean the toilets every day. And every other day we had a room inspection and every other day kit went out, windows, got the beds got turned upside down. Oh, it was an absolute nightmare. Part of the reason why blokes were leaving every day. That was probably the hardest six weeks of my life. Our platoon had gone from 40 down to 19. The other platoons had lost similar, all around about 50%. It was a really tough regime back in those days. At the end of that first six weeks, we formally passed off the square. Well, all those that had made it that far, and we were allowed to go home for a long weekend. When we came back from the long weekend, we had all moved into one room. So all 19 of us were in one single room. The regime had eased off a little bit. We only had a a full room inspection once a week, but we still had to make bed blocks every day. We also went off on a few exercises. We went up to Warcop. We went down to Salisbury Plains. We also had to do the military swimming test. That's quite an effort in itself. You have to jump in in full kit. You have to tread water for about a few minutes. Then you've got to take your trousers off and make it into a flotation affair. And then you've got to swim several lengths. And so our training continued. About the only time we ever saw our platoon commander was on a pay parade. Pay parades were quite good back then. We all used to line up with a pay book in our hand. We used to march in, halt in front of the desk, salute the officer, hand over our pay book. He'd put the money inside our pay book, hand it back, we'd salute, about turn and march out. It's as simple as that. At that time, as a junior soldier, we were on £4.72 a day. That's for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Amazing, really. We had Christmas leave, and then after Christmas leave, we came back. I think it was in about February. We had the opportunity to go off to Bavaria on Exercise Snow Queen, which effectively for us was two weeks of skiing, which was great. First time I've ever been skiing. I still ski to this day, but a bit more about my skiing at a later date. After Easter 1975, we went across and joined an adult training platoon to complete the last 12 weeks of training, which incorporated all the platoon weapons and takes us into live firing before being posted to our battalions. We also were able to have several weekends off, but we had to be back in camp by midnight. I remember one time I'd been home for the weekend and I got on the train back to Royston. It was the last train to get, which would got me into Royston around about 11.30 in time to get back into camp for 12 o'clock. Unfortunately, I fell asleep and I woke up in Cambridge at just gone midnight. My thoughts then, how do I get back to camp and get away with it? I ran and it's around about 15 miles. So it took me about three hours to get back. Arriving back in camp around about three o'clock in the morning, I was promptly thrown in jail. Following morning, I had some explaining to do to the RSM, why I was late. It cost me two days' pay. 
and I've never been to sleep on a train ever since. After we'd finished the final exercise, we spent the last three weeks in basic training in preparation for our passing out parade. So we spent a lot of time on the drill square. We spent a lot of time down at the gymnasium in preparation for a demonstration that we were going to lay on for all our families and friends. The day finally arrived, our passing out parade. It was an absolute manic day. We started off, I think it must have been about four o'clock in the morning, getting the, the block all cleared out, all our bedding handed back in, all our kit was packed apart from what we're going to go home in, our best uniforms. Having made all the preparations, as far as I can remember, the day went well. And that was it. I was a trained soldier, passed out of training, and I was on two weeks' leave prior to going to Germany. After leave, I reported back to the depot with the rest of the guys ready to go off to Germany. We were bussed down to Bryce Norton and processed through there, mucked about a little bit, I guess, by the RAF, and then we flew over to Guttersloe, where we got on a round-robin coach that took us around the different bases before dropping us off at Oxford Barracks, Munster, the home of the 2nd Battalion, the Royal Anglian Regiment. Unfortunately for us, the battalion was away in Northern Ireland on a six-month tour, and we were on the rear party. The rear party, we spent most of the time sweeping leaves. Once we got settled, we were assigned a mentor each. My mentor just happened to be a young lad called Titch Foster. Titch Foster was a little rogue, and his best mate at the time was Danny Griffin. The two of them got me into an awful lot of trouble, but they turned out to be really good mates. We'd only been in Germany a couple of days. Titch and Danny decided to take me off downtown to show me where we go drinking, where we go and eat. Having had several beers, they left me in one particular pub and unbeknownst to me, they'd sold me to a puff. Once I'd realised what had happened, I'd give this puff a little bit of a slap and then I went after these two. And the reason they'd sold me, because they didn't have any money. However, we had a really good drink on, on this puff. Back at Oxford Barracks, the daily routine normally started off with a parade in the morning, first part of the morning, sweeping leaves. Then we'd go and have a naffy break at around about 10 o'clock and then we'd spend the rest of the morning sweeping leaves until lunchtime. And then after lunch, we'd have another parade and then we'd be sweeping some more leaves. It just seemed like the whole place was full of leaves. And once we cleared one lot of leaves, there seemed to be another load of leaves. Anyway, this leaf-sweeping malarkey had all finished up by the end of November. The battalion was due back just before Christmas, and I went and had my Christmas leave early December, and I came back ready for Christmas duties. Christmas duties was okay. The camp was fairly empty, and on Christmas morning, the officers came round with gunfire. My first experience of gunfire on a Christmas morning consisted of a cup of tea and a big slug of whiskey. Good way to start Christmas Day. And then I was on duty on Christmas Day. The battalion returned to work in January 1976 
after having their Christmas leave. I was assigned to a company and I was told to go and find a guy called Sergeant Nunky Baxter. So I'm walking down the corridor in A Company lines and I see this bloke and I says, excuse us, mate, can you tell me where I can find Nunky Baxter? He turned around and he said to me, I am Sergeant Baxter. Oops. After he'd squared me away with correct etiquette, he then took me down to three platoon lines and introduced me to Corporal Alan Nichols, who was going to be my section commander. I'd probably fallen on my feet this time with Danny and Titch in the same section. What a result. Anyway, because the battalion at that time was a mechanised battalion, we had four three-twos. And the routine then became that we worked on the wagons every day, cleaning them, servicing and all the rest of it. Danny was a driver, and so we settled into a routine. And then we started getting ready for a big exercise. This exercise was going to be down at Senelaga. I can tell you, it's no fun being on exercise in February in Germany. It was savagely cold. Anyway, we eventually survived this exercise and returned to Munster. I got to know Alan quite well, and he asked me if I'd come round and babysit one night so him and Jackie could go out to a mess function. This put me on the babysitting list, and I ended up babysitting for lots of different corporals at the time. I'd been having a bit of grief with my wisdom teeth, and a dentist put me into the British Military Hospital in Munster to go and have them taken out. So I walked up to the hospital on this particular day. I walked into the operating theatre. I laid down on the table and I woke up sometime later with four wisdom teeth missing. Took me a few weeks to get over that. We had some great times in Munster. We even did a road trip up to Copenhagen. Whole of A Company on two coaches. It was a brilliant weekend. By June of 76, the battalion was getting ready to be posted back to Gillingham in Kent. Arms plot moves are massive. So many different working parts. I was on the advance party to Gillingham. When we got there, we set up the reception centre. We spent a lot of time going backwards and forwards to airports, Luton or London or Bryce Norton, to escort the guys back to Gillingham. That was a really, really hot summer that year. Not only was it a very hot summer, it was also an extremely busy summer, or second half of 1976, for the battalion, and particularly us in A Company. When we came back from summer leave, we spent most of July preparing to go to Gibraltar to take over as relief battalion so the battalion could come back and do live firing and summer leave. We were earmarked to do the convent guard at the governor's house and the four corners guard up at the border. At that time, Gibraltar was still closed to Spain. We flew out to Gibraltar in early August and we only had a couple of days to acclimatise before we were on our first guard at the Governor's House. The Governor's House is one side of the road and the other side of the road is the guard room. And the guys that aren't on stag at the time are trying to make the guy that is on stag laugh because you're surrounded by tourists most of the time. We're dressed in number one trousers, ammunition boots, white tunic and a forage cap with our SLR. We look quite smart, to be honest. 
We were accommodated in South Camp, and one of the briefings that they gave us when we first arrived was that there are 365 pubs on Gibraltar. Please do not try and drink in every one of them. You will not succeed in the few weeks that you are here. Didn't stop us trying, though, did it? Having finished our first week of guard at the Governor's House, the second week we were in Gibraltar, we managed to do a sea kayak course, which was great fun. It meant paddling out into the Straits of Gibraltar with the shipping, porpoises all jumping around us in fabulous weather. And the next week, we were on the Four Corners Guard at the border. While we were in Gibraltar, we had some excellent opportunities to see some stuff that people don't normally get to see. We got a guided tour around the caves and the tunnels, and the battalion band played a concert in St Michael's Cave, which was absolutely fantastic. They played the 1812 Overture with all the flashbangs going off and terrific, terrific noise. One of the things that we did most days was to form up and run up the rock and back down every day for PT. It got a little bit easier towards the end. To start with, it was an absolute nightmare. When we returned to Gillingham, we only had a couple of weeks to get ready to go on to another exercise, this time in Norway, and we shipped out to Norway from Harwich on an LSL. As I recall, it was quite a lumpy crossing, and those LSLs don't handle rough crossings particularly well. It's an awful lot of guys being sick all around us. However, I was one that wasn't. Perhaps that's because of the sailor in me. Having been at sea for a couple of days, we arrived in Stavanger in Norway, where we were taken off the ships and then taken down to a reception area where we were given a brief about the exercise and then we deployed off into our camp. This is one of those big NATO exercises that we used to have back then. We deployed out and we were on a, a crossroads and we were defending it. Apparently we were the enemy. I was on a machine gun and an American truck came down the road and he was the enemy to us anyway. So we consequently held him up and while we was taking him prisoner, we rifled the back of his truck and he was full of rations. So we spent the rest of the exercise eating American rations. We returned from Norway at the end of September and only had a couple of weeks before we deployed to Italy on an exchange tour with the Alpines. When we arrived in Italy, we were driven in Italian trucks that run on paraffin. They run on paraffin because they were operating in the mountains and they drove us up to a place called Corvara in the Dolomites and we were in a small Alpini camp there. The camp itself was set in a, just outside the village. Because we were being hosted by the Alpinis, we lived on the same rations as they did. Continental breakfast, but you got a sachet of brandy. And then at lunchtime, we had pasta with wine. And then for the evening meal, we had even more pasta and more wine. We spent the whole time there almost drunk. We spent most days up in the mountains with the Alpinis, chasing them up and down the mountains. And one day, we had a civic reception in the town of Kavara, where the local mayor and dignitaries hosted the company. And they laid on a really, really nice spread, along with a lot of wine. Towards the end of our stay in Italy, we had a weekend down in Venice and had the opportunity to go and visit Venice itself, going in gondolas, drinking tea in St Mark's Square, 
which at that time was still horrendously expensive. And we were staying in a camp just outside Venice. And again, we were living on pasta and wine and brandy for breakfast. Can't remember much else about the trip, other than we had a really good time. I don't know how the Italians got on back in Gillingham. I think we had the better deal. Back in Gillingham, I was reunited with my motorbike. I'd bought it just after a return from Munster. It was a 250 Triumph Trophy. I had nothing but trouble with it. It kept blowing its head gasket, and I kept replacing the head gasket. And the final straw came when I had my test booked. The day before I was going to do my test, it blew the head gasket, and I didn't have time to replace it. So I borrowed a mate's Suzuki X7, which was a two-stroke. Very, very lively two-stroke. Anyway, I went down to the test station on this. In those days, the examiner would stand on a corner and tell you which way to go and what to do next. He said, when I step out and put my hand up, do a controlled stop. So anyway, I came round the block. He stepped out, put his hand up. I put the brakes on and stopped within about an inch of his feet. He looked a little bit white. On you go. So off I went and popped a wheelie. Needless to say, I failed the test. It was after this that I decided to trade the Triumph in and I got myself a Honda G5, a 250 twin cylinder. It's a lovely bike and then I took my test on that and passed second time. So it's now around about November 1976. We haven't got anything else on this year other than Christmas leave and to start build-up training to go to Northern Ireland the following March 77. There's a small group of us that all had motorbikes. And in the evenings, we used to go down to a cafe in Gillingham and have coffee. And then we'd race up to Farthing Corner Services for another coffee. And then we'd race back down again to Gillingham. It was probably around about January or early February 1977 that I'd been home for the weekend on a motorbike. And I was coming back to Gillingham and it was snowing heavily. By the time I got back into camp, I was almost frozen to the bike. And as I pulled up outside the block, I stopped. I couldn't get my feet off the pegs and I fell over sideways in the snow. And all they could hear inside was, help, help. This is when my mate Harry came out and rescued me after they had finished laughing at my predicament. Well, that's it for episode three. I hope you enjoyed it. Next time, I'll be taking you on our deployment to Northern Ireland in 1977. I hope you found it fascinating and enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends. If your podcast app allows, please put a review and rate it, as this would help me massively. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.